And I want to kick off a new series today, and I want to do it by playing you one of the greatest songs ever written. You got no wind to hold. Come on now, sing it. No wind to fold up. No wind to walk away. No wind to run. Come on. You better count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time around the couch. When the game is done. Amen. Can we get that? That's, that's spiritual music. If you've never heard spiritual music, that's spiritual right there. That's Kitty Rogers. All right, some of you guys, how many of you guys were born or alive when that song came out? Anybody? Yeah, how many of you guys have never heard that song in your life? Come on, kids. Yeah. Weird people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Kenny Rogers, one of the greatest singers in the world, um, wrote that song, wrote a, uh, that song, The Gambler, and had a movie about gambling and all that stuff. And, and uh, you may be thinking, well, what's the point? Well, I'll tie this into our cowboy culture as well. Back in the day on the cattle drives, you know, when they used to take the cattle on the long drives, they didn't have really much to do. So a lot of times... If they weren't, you know, busting brocks or, you know, on night watch or whatever, what did they do? They played cards, right? They played cards. They had a, you know, a, a time where they would get together with the guys. They may pull out, you know, some chewing tobacco or take a snort of whiskey. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> I don't know why I amen that, but, but uh, some of you guys are appreciative of that. Um, but here's the thing. Today, you know, poker has become a huge deal um, you can win millions of dollars, you know, on the poker tour if you're really good at it. And uh, I, I know some of you guys are like, oh, he's talking about poker and church, cards and all that. Here's the deal. I grew up in a church that was what I would call a little bit legalistic. Anybody know what that means, Le- legalistic? Here's what that means. They, they thought the devil was in the drums. Come on now, it's okay to laugh. They thought the devil was in the drums. They thought Bart Simpson was the devil. Remember Bart Simpson? He's still on TV. Bar Simpson was the devil, and they thought that the devil was in the cards. Anybody? Can I get a witness? Some of you guys probably still think this, but that's okay. You're in a new church with new beliefs. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, But here's the thing. You know, while you could debate, you know, is gambling wrong, and, you know, you can get addicted to playing cards and betting all your money, I would say this. It's just as easy to get addicted to Dr. Pepper, amen, or chocolate-covered peanuts, as it is to play cards and get addicted. You know, that that's just the truth, right? I mean, most of us here today are not going to have a gambling problem. And if you do, we can help you. Amen? But if you, most of us, for us to get together and play cards or play a game of poker and smoke a stogie <laughs> once, every now and then, it's not a big deal, right? I mean, it's just not. I mean, and so some of you guys are like, well, you know, what are you, what are you getting at? Well, I'm not a card player, per se, but there are a few games that I like to play. Um, the first is, and I introduced this to my kids just not too long ago, 52-card pickup. Anybody played that? I mean, they love it. I mean, it's like, I want to show you this coolest game ever. And I got the cards, and I flung them all over the floor, and they're like, yay! And I'm like, this is great. Pick them up, you know. <laughs> and so 52-card pickup, and then the other game that I love, and many of you guys maybe have not played this game, but it's called King's Corner. Anybody play King's Corner? Yeah. King's Corner is a pretty cool game. My wife and I, we can, uh, you know, get together and play cards. We play King's Corner, but but I've never really played, you know, too much poker. I don't know a whole lot about Texas Hold'em. Um, I, I've never been on the poker tour. You're not going to see me. They call me the preacher on the poker tour. <laughs> but I do know a few things about, you know, playing cards. The first is what uh, some terms, right? You have the term a hand. 
right? If you have a hand, what is it? It's the three or four or five or seven or how many other cards depending on the game that you have in your hand, right? That's that's what a hand is. The other uh, you know terms that you might hear are dealer, right? If you're a dealer, you're the guy who what deals the cards, right? Then you have words like call. What does that mean? Anybody know? It's where you match the bet. You know, like if there's a bet on the table, you call by matching the bet, and you can even raise the bet that's actually on the table. What about a bluff? Anybody know what a bluff is? A liar. Yeah, it's a liar, <laughs> cheater. I mean, I, I, bluffing's kind of fun, you know. I mean, I, I watched the movie the other day called The Ma- Maverick. Anybody seen Maverick with Mel Gibson? The, one of the best movies ever. Anyways, he figured out, he, he, he had this game he was in, and he figured out, he said, I'm not going to win a hand for the first hour. And guess what he was trying to figure out? He was trying to figure out all the tales that these guys that were sitting around the table yep. would give, like curling her hair or, you know, you know, tapping on their teeth or whatever, the tales, to see if they were bluffing or if they were really telling the truth. So you had the word bluff. Um, you got the word fold, right? If you, uh, if you, you know, you don't have a good hand and you, what, you turn your cards in, you say, I fold. Um, you have a bet where you just bet money and you could either bet, you know, win or lose that that money. Then there's a term called all in. What's that mean? Yeah, you push all your chips to the middle of the table and you're like, I'm all in, right? Some of you guys are looking at me like, my children are learning how to play poker in church. Yes, they are. Praise the Lord. Um, but, but here's one term that many of you guys may have not uh, ever heard. Maybe you have heard of it. But the term that I want to focus in on today is a term that you cannot do any of those other things in the game of poker or in the game of cards without doing this one thing first. Ready? Ante up. Ante up. up. Now, you say, well, I don't know what that word means. Well, if you ante up, that means that you are placing your bet or you're putting the the amount of money, maybe it's a $5 table, you're putting your $5 on the table before you even get dealt your hand. You with me? So that's what it means to Annie Up. Well, today I want to start a series called Annie Up. Annie Up. And the subtitle is this, Going All In With Christ. All In With Christ. Now, in the game of life, listen to this, God has called us to Annie Up. You say, well, what does all that mean? Well, we're going to answer some questions throughout this series that I believe can change your life. And one of those that we're going to answer today, I believe, is going to change somebody's life today for eternity. Some of those questions is, what does it mean to ante up with Christ? I mean, if we're going to talk about it, what does it mean to ante up with him? And then another question, spiritually speaking, what does it mean to go all in with God or all in with Christ? Here's another question that we hope to answer. What what, What do you do when life or the game of life deals you a sorry hand, right? I mean, what do we do? When life deals us a hand that we don't know what to do with it, what do we do with that? I mean, what does God want us to do with that? Um, Another question that we're going to answer is, when when is it okay to fold in the game of life? When is it okay to say, I'm out? Is it okay? I mean, is there ever a time that it's okay? We're going to answer that question as well. And then the last question, how do we up the ante when God speaks to us and tells us something to do? And so that's what we're going to talk about in this series. But today, I want to answer the most important question of the whole series. And, and it's the first question that we're going to answer today. And, 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 and the question is, what does it mean to ante up with Christ? Now, here's the thing. 
Some of you guys that grew up in church like me, you're going to get to hear a message today that you've probably heard a thousand times. Maybe you're going to hear a message today that you know all the answers to. But here's my desire. My desire is this, that we would never grow numb to the message of Jesus Christ. Amen? Some of you have been in church for a long time, and you look at me like, why are we talking about this? Why, why do we always have to bring that up? Or why, you know, why don't we get to the better stuff? Listen, the message that I'm going to share with you today is the most important message that you'll ever hear in your life. It is. I got one clap on it. And even though it's the most important message, can we all just clap together? I know it hurts your hands. There you go. Now you're getting into it. But, but here's the thing. You say, what's the first step? Well, number one is this, and I'm only going to answer one main point today. You can write this down on the orange card. There's little notes that says jot it down. You can write it on that orange card. But number one is this. We ante up by making Jesus our Savior and Lord. Yeah, exactly. We ended up by making Jesus our Savior and our Lord. A couple weeks ago, I told you about my life-changing experience as a, as a nine-year-old. My, uh, well, I woke up one morning, or one, actually, I went to bed one night. I didn't wake up that morning, but I went to bed one night, and I was in bed, and I was scared, and I didn't know really what was, you know, scaring me or anything like that. And so I went into my parents' room, and I, I was talking to my mom. I was like, Mom, I'm scared. I don't... I don't know what's, you know, why, why I'm so fearful or whatever. And she took me into the dining room of our double wide trailer. Can I get a hand for double wide trailer? That's what I'm talking about. So she, she took me into the kitchen, and, and, and through this idea of having a fear as a child in my life, my mom shared with me about a guy named Jesus. And she told me about how this guy named Jesus died on a cross for my sin. And he now lives in heaven. And because he died on a cross for my sin, I could accept him into my life. He would forgive me of the things that I've done wrong. And he would be with me for the rest of my life. And when I was in a position where I was fearful, he would be there. She said, Mom, she said, she said Bo, mommy's not going to always be there, but Jesus will. And so that night at the kitchen table in our double wide trailer, I, I knelt down and I asked Jesus, to come into my life and save me. I didn't understand everything. Obviously, I was only nine years old, but I can tell you this. I understand what Jesus did on the cross and how he died for my sin, and he wanted to come into my life and live inside of me. The greatest decision that I've ever made in my life. You say, what does that you know, look like in church? I mean, again, a lot of times we say words like conversion. We say words like born again. We say words like, you know, getting saved or salvation. It essentially, all of those terms essentially mean that you give your life to Jesus. That's what it means to ante up. Some of you guys have been here, you know, long enough or been in church long enough that maybe you anteed up right here in church. Maybe at the end of one of our, our messages, you asked Jesus to come into your life and you anteed up here. Maybe it was a... a you know, a decision that you made, a prayer that you prayed, maybe when you were in BBS as a kid, you know, you went to vacation Bible school, or you went to a revival, or, you know, maybe it was through a crisis that you came to know the Lord personally. Maybe you lost somebody that you loved, or maybe you went through a divorce, or, you know, you, you were in a, a, a terrible way, and you turned to Jesus, and you asked him to forgive you and to come into your life and save you. Here's the truth. 
any and up, all boils down to making Jesus your Savior and your Lord. It's the greatest message ever spoken. And so here's the thing. Many of you are new to this, and we praise God that you're here. And so I want to explain what that means. You say, well, what does it mean for someone to be your Savior? Well, if someone's your Savior, that means they've saved you from something, right? I'll give you an example. Um, I was in college, and it was around this time of year. It was about fall, um, and we were on fall break. And so me and about 20 or 25 other college students went to Tahlequah, Oklahoma, and we floated the river, the Illinois River. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a, it's, a, it's a cool place. But we floated the Illinois River. And here's the thing. On this, this, this fall day, it was a, a beautiful day, but they had gotten a bunch of rain uh, that week or whatever. And so the river was really flowing really, really hard. I mean, it was, it was cooking. And that's what, as, as a punk kid, you know, or a college kid, that's what you want, right? <laughs> you want, you're like, David, let's get out there, you know, let's go try to kill ourselves, you know, whatever. And uh, so we were out there, and we were in these canoes, and there's probably about 20 or 25 of us, and so we all had, you know, two or three people in a canoe, and we were just floating down, you know, racing each other, and jumping out, and dumping people over, and all that stuff. Well, we came to this bend in the river, and it kind of looked, you know, like a bend. It was like a curve, but what had happened, right in the middle of this curve, a tree had fallen, okay? So on the bank, where it was kind of tall, the tree had fallen, so the roots were still on the bank, but the tree was right in the middle of the river. So you had two options, okay? And again, you got 20, 25 people, probably 8 or 10, you know, 20, maybe, maybe more uh, canoes going down the river. You had two options. You could go in between the tree and the shore and try to get, you know, through that way, or you could go under the tree and, and get through and go on down the river. Well, <clears throat> there was a few canoes. They got through, and then there was these two girls named Sarah and Lenan. They were in a canoe by themselves. Well, they weren't very handy, I guess, or whatever. So they got they, they got up to the tree, and when they got up to the tree, they were turned sideways when they hit the tree. So what happened? Because of the rush of the of the water, their their canoe actually got pinned on the on the in, right there on the tree. And so the water was just pushing up against their tree. Well, me and my buddy, we were the next to come through, and we couldn't get through on the shore side, we couldn't get through on the underneath the tree side. So guess what happened? We hit their canoe. Now, here's what happened. When we hit their canoe, Sarah fell out of the canoe, but she grabbed a hold of the side. Well, when she did that, when our canoe got up next to her, we pinned her in between our canoe and their canoe. The other girl, Linnea, when she fell out, she fell out. And when she fell out, she fell out face forward, but she had a hold with one hand and had one leg on the canoe. And so this is where the tragedy began to happen. Now, we're thinking, what do we do? I mean, we were standing in our canoe trying to hold on, trying to, you know, do whatever we could. So me and my buddy, we decided, well, we got Sarah's right here. So we pulled Sarah. Again, she's pinned by her waist in between the two canoes and the water's pushing on. So we pull her out as quick as we can, and we get her into the canoe. Well, Lenan had let go because the current was so heavy, she had let go. And all that was holding her up out of the water was her leg. And so she was pinned with her head underwater, and we could not, for the life of us, get her up because of the current. So what do we decide to do? Well, me and my buddy said, we got to push her. we got to push her down. And so we pushed her foot down into the water. She went under the canoe and went under the tree, which could have had all kinds of tree limbs and all kinds of other stuff. 
underneath it. But we were, we just pushed her under, and we thought, man, we're just we were praying, and we just you know we're praying that she would come out the other side, and it's exactly what she did. And so yeah, praise God, she made it through. But it was a scary experience. But here's the thing, you know what she told us afterwards? Thank you for saving my life. I mean, she could have died right there. Here's the truth. Jesus has done the same thing for us. We are drowning, all of us, at some point in our lives have been drowning in our sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Guess what? That means that you're underwater in your sin and you're drowning in your sin. All of us have been in that position. And all of us, listen, I'll put it this way. All of us have this Christ-shaped void in our hearts that only Christ can fill. Many of you guys are here today, and some of you, again, maybe you're trying to fill it with a relationship. If I only found a wife, then I'd be happy. Or if I only had money, then I'd be happy. If I was only in a dating relationship, then I'd be happy. If we could only sell the cows for a better price, then we would you know, be fulfilled. No, here's the truth. You can try to fill your life with all of that other stuff, but Christ is truly the only one that can fill that void. He can forgive you of your sin, and he can come into your life. And so listen, you say, what does it mean for him to be your savior? It means that he has saved you from your sin and he has given you a new life. That's what that means. I mean, that's the greatest one. Of the, I mean, that is the greatest um, story, the greatest truth that I could share with you today. But here's the truth. When we ante up, we accept Jesus as our savior, but we also, listen, we also should accept him as our Lord. And that's the second role that Jesus should play in our lives. I always read this scripture or I say this scripture at the end of the service, but it's Romans 10, 9. Look at it with me. It says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? What's the word? Lord. Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? What's the last word? Saved. Saved. And you say, okay, Bo, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Lord of my life? Well, I'll give you one word, and some of you guys are going to cringe at this word. Some of you guys are going to like this word. But here's what the word is. Boss. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he should be the boss of your life. You say, well, what does a boss do? Well, if you have a boss, you obviously know that they sign your paychecks, right? They hire you. They can fire you. Amen? Anybody ever been fired? Let's just admit it. Come on, be fired. Anybody been fired? Come on. I got fired one time because I told them I was sick. I was in college. I was working at the store, and I got sick, and I, and I got fired. And, and the guy didn't believe me that, that I was sick. So I went to the nurse at the college, and I said, I want you to write me a note because I just gone to see her. And I want you to write me a note saying I was sick so I can take it back to this jerk boss of mine who fired me because I was sick. So I took it back to the boss, and I was like, here, I don't want my job back, but I want you to know I'm not a liar. <laughs> and I got fired. Either way. He didn't even offer me my job back. So we've all, I mean, again, your boss, guess what? They hire you, they can fire you, but ultimately, guess what? They have power, they have authority, they have control in what you do. Now, again, some of you guys are like, oh, I hate that idea. I mean, I, my boss is a jerk. I mean, I don't even like my boss. Trust me, I've had some terrible bosses, but I've also had some great bosses. Um, growing up, I worked, um, I grew up in Duncan, and I worked at the coolest store in our town. You know what it was? The gun store. Hello? Can I get an amen? 
Murph's Guns in Duncan, Oklahoma. All my buddies were so envious of me because I got to work at the gun store. I mean, it was the, it was so fun. I mean, Murph's was the number one Browning dealer in the state of Oklahoma in the nineties. I mean, they had they had all kinds of fancy over and over over and under guns. You know, grade six wood. I mean, it was just beautiful. And the the guy that owned it, he owned it with his brother Ken. The guy that owned it, his name was Craig Murphy. That's why they called it Murph's Guns. My dog. Um, was named Murph as well. I name my I name all my animals after my friends. Anybody do that? You got this ugly dog, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna name him Craig. <laughs> I'm kidding. But uh, Craig, at 12 years ago to this day, Craig stood beside me as my best man um, in my wedding. My chocolate lab, who uh, was my best friend before I married my wife. <laughs> my wife was a little jealous of my dog at some point because I I would love my dog. Anyways. Anyway, so Murph, Murph, my dog, and then Craig Murphy, he was my best man. Murph, my dog, was actually in the wedding, too. He was our ring bearer. So we had a wedding outside, and he had the ring on his collar, and my buddy had him at the end of the aisle, and I said, here. And my dog, Murph, came to me, and I said, sit. And I grabbed the ring, and I said, heal. And my dog healed right beside me next to my friend, Craig Murphy. <laughs> so I had Murph and Craig Murphy. So, but Craig, he was, he was my, one of my best friends. I mean, we went, went through all kinds of stuff together. Uh, we went to church together. We hunted together. We did all kinds of great things together. But here's the truth. He was still my boss. Right? I mean, if he said, Bo, I want you there at 7 o'clock. I want you to have the, the gate unlocked. I want you to have the store lights on. I want you to get everything ready, get the coffee started, all that stuff. I want you to have it all ready. Guess what I did? Yes, sir. I'll be there. I mean, again, I was the janitorial engineer <laughs> at Murph's Guns. You guys know what that means, don't you? I mean, I took out the trash, okay? So but I like to call it janitorial engineer because it may sound, sound smarter. But um, I was a janitorial engineer. I was the unpacker, so I unpacked all the guns, and I polished them up, and I would put them out. I would tag them with the price tags. And, and again, if Craig said, hey, I want you to go out, I want you to – they also sold trampolines. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why they got the trampolines in the gun business. There was money in it, I guess. So I, would, I was the person who set up the trampolines, and I had to test them. So I would get on the because they, they didn't want the kids to get on there without testing it. And so I would get on the trampoline and jump on it to see if it broke because I was the one who set it up. So anyways, that was a part of my job as well. And if Craig said, hey, I want you to go set up this trampoline, deliver it, blah, 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 I had to do it. You know why? He was my boss. Here's the point. Some of you guys, you have terrible bosses, not like Craig, not a good boss like my buddy Craig. But here's the truth. Jesus is a good boss. He's a good boss. Some of you guys are like, I don't want to give Jesus control of my life. Then I won't have fun. Listen, the fun doesn't start until you give Jesus your life. I'm just telling you. Some of you guys are like, I got too much living to do. I want to you know, go out and do all this stuff. Now listen, if you will only give control over to Jesus, then you will truly live. And he can truly guide your life because he's a good boss. Look at Psalm 34 verse 8. It says this, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Good. And blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Like, listen, like a good boss, I mean, Craig, he would he would give me, you know, Christmas gifts, Christmas bonus. If I work real hard, he'd give me a bonus. I mean, he took care of me. The same way with Jesus, he takes care of us. He provides for us. He looks after us. He gives us bonuses when we work hard and we live in a godly way that honors him. That's what a good boss does. But here's the same thing. Just like Craig had power and authority and he was my boss, 
Jesus wants power and authority and control of your life. I mean, some of you guys are like, I don't, I, I, I don't want to give control over. Join the crowd. I mean, all of us at some point in our lives, we don't want to have somebody else controlling our lives. But here's the truth. It's what he demands if he's really going to be your Savior and Lord. I mean, I can say, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to forgive me of my sins, but then I'm not going to live for you. I would say that you may not be a true believer, right? Because you've truly not surrendered your life to him. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves. Deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to what? Save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will what? Will find it. You say, what does that mean? Here's the truth. As long as you want to have control over your own life, as long as you, you know, you make decisions on your own and you don't do it for the glory of God, guess what? You will lose you will lose. You say, no, I've done it all my life. I'm a pretty successful guy. Now listen, you might be successful in this world, but you're not going to be successful in eternity. And you're, 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 all your money's never going to amount to squat. All the belongings that you have, they're not going to amount to squat. All the things that you think are important, they're not, they don't mean diddly squat until you give God control of your life. As long as you have control of your life, you will lose. As long as you are betting that you can become a good person, a good husband, a good wife, a good father, a good mother, a good employee, a good student, on your own, guess what? You're holding a losing hand. You're holding a losing hand. But here's the truth. When you hand over your rights to Jesus, you will always have a losing. I mean, you will always have a winning hand. You will always have a winning hand. I'll give you a few examples. Some of you guys are here today, and man, you 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 know Jesus, and you've known Jesus for a while, but he doesn't have control of areas of your life. You still have control of them. I'll give you an example, money. I mean, money, again, we all want to hold on to our money, right? I mean, we all want to, hey, I'm going to put all this money back. I'm going to hide it in this little, you know, rat hole. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep control of my money. Can I just tell you, when you give up your money, and you make God the Lord of your money, guess what? You will never Go without. He will always meet your needs. You know how I know? Because I've, I've learned by experience. Because I tithe to our church, because I give a, a 10% or whatever it is to the church, guess what? My needs are always met. And guess what? The money issue, and again, a lot of people don't like to talk about it, but the Bible talks about it, so we talk about it. If you will give him and make him the Lord of your money, you will never go without he will meet every need that you have. And guess what? Oftentimes, he will even give you what you want. You know why? Because he's the Lord of your money. I'll give you another example. Maybe you're here today and your marriage is struggling. Your marriage, you don't live for anybody else but yourself. You're still selfish, but you're married and all of that. And, and, and here's the truth. You've not given control over your marriage to God. Here's the deal. You're going to continue to struggle in your marriage until you give control over to him. Until you look into the word of God and you say, okay, God, how do you want me to live my life that honors you and loves and shows love to my spouse? Until you do that, until you 
give God control and you submit to God's ways in your marriage, your marriage will it may be okay, but it's never going to really be the best because you've not given God control. Uh, another example is your kids. You want to raise kids right? You want to show them the way that, that, that is right? You want to give them the best tools that they can have to make godly decisions? Then you need to give control over your kids to God. You need to give them over to God so that he can bless them. I mean, some of you guys, again, you're teenagers. You need to give your dating relationships over to God. You need to say, okay, God, if this relationship doesn't honor you, I'm getting out. If this girl that I'm dating doesn't honor you, then I'm getting out. If you don't want me to be a part of this relationship, I'm out. If you want me in that relationship, then I'm in. Some of you guys like that idea. <laughs> you're like, I'm in, I'm in. She's right there. I'm in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But here's the thing. You may be thinking, well, okay, Bo, what is, what is giving my life to Christ and making him the Lord of my life get me? Can I give you a couple things and I'm done? The first is this. When you ante up and make Christ your Savior and Lord, guess what? You get in the game. You actually get in the game. I mean, if you were to walk up to a poker table and you were just to stand there and you weren't anteing up or you didn't you know, lay your money down and put your bet on the table, guess what? You don't have a chance to win. You don't even have a chance to play the game. But when you put your money on the table and you place your bet and you ante up, listen, you get to be a part of the game. You get to be a part of maybe winning, right? It's the same way with Christ. When you ante up, he lets you in on his table. He says, hey, come on, sit on down. Let's play this game together. And guess what? You, When you sit down with Jesus and you begin to play and you make him the Lord of your life and the Savior of your life, the odds are always for you. Amen? Amen? The odds are always for you. And guess what? The pot of blessings is unlimited. It's unlimited. When you begin a relationship with him, you actually get to play a game that matters in eternity. You know what the second thing is? When you ante up, guess what? You win. When you ante up and you make Jesus the Lord of your life and you accept him as your Savior, you win. You say, well, I, I'm not winning. I, I'm not Christian and I haven't won this hand or that hand or this hand or that hand. True, you may not win every hand, but at the end of this life, guess what? You get to receive eternal life. Yes. And whether you go through sorry hands throughout your life, or you get dealt this, or you get dealt that, you can always have hope that there is hope in the future because you have given Jesus your life and he has given you eternal life. Look at John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever what? Believes, believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. Now listen, some of you guys are here today and you've never ended up in your life. You've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Guess what? You get a chance to do that today. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. And that's the question that I want to, I want to pose to you today. Have you ended up by making Christ your Savior and Lord? Truthfully, honestly, and I, I, I said this already, this is the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. 
And as a church, sometimes, again, we can grow numb to all the, the whole idea of the good news of Jesus. But my prayer is that we would never grow numb to it. That we would be fired up. That we would have zeal. That we would have enthusiasm. Because we get to share the most important story, the most important truth, the most important blessing that we could ever experience. And that's salvation from our sins. And so maybe you're here today and you've never anted up by making Jesus your Savior and your Lord. And you say, well, how do I do that? Well, can I just give you the simple answer? And you can do this right in your chair right now. The Bible does say, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Right there in your chair, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, nobody's looking around. You don't have to pray this out loud. And there's nothing special about the words that I'm praying or any of that. It all is a matter of your heart. But if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can just pray this simple prayer with me as I say it in your heart. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross so that I could be forgiven. I am drowning in my sin and I need you to save me. Please forgive me and come into my life. I want to make you my Savior and my Lord. Listen, maybe you just prayed that prayer for the first time in your life. I want to say to you, welcome to the table. You are now in the game. The game that Christ has called us all to be a part of. A game where you are going to get to win at the end of this life. And a game that God wants you to play for His glory and for His honor for all the days of your life. And so listen, maybe you just prayed that prayer for the first time. We don't ask people to come to the front of our church. We're not going to embarrass you in any way. But just to know that, that there is someone in here that maybe gave their life to Christ and so that I can maybe pray for you um, throughout the week. I want to know that you if you've given your life to Christ. So if you would just... If you gave your life to Christ for the first time today, if you would just raise your hand just so that I can see your hand. Anybody? Yes, over here. Thank you. Anybody else? You gave your life to Jesus for the first time today. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, those of you that just raised your hand, again, we want to celebrate that. We want to rejoice with you in your giving your life to Jesus. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge those of you that, that maybe, maybe you're a Christian already, but you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life. Again, you've accepted you know, his salvation. You've asked for, your, for forgiveness of your sins, but you've not made him, you know, or given him control of the, the areas of your life that you are still in control of. How many of you guys would say, you know what, Bo, that's me. I'm not giving all control over to the Lord. How many of you guys would raise your hand and say that? I've got some areas in my life where that I've not given God control. Yeah, all across the room. Anybody else? Raise your hand if, you, if that's you. Yeah, all across the room, there are people that need to give the, the control over to the Lord and make Him the Lord of those areas of your life. Can I just challenge you? Don't leave this place without committing to God that you give him control. Maybe right there, you just pray this prayer in your heart. Lord, I give you control of my life. I know that you're my Savior, 
But I want you to be in control of my, my money. I want, to, I want you to be in control of my marriage. I want you to be in control of my life. Every area, my job, everything that I have, I give it to you and I give you control. Listen, I hope that you prayed that prayer just now and you committed to him. And I hope that it wasn't just a prayer that you made at church, but it's going to change your life and you're going to begin to, to live, to, to give God all the glory and all the authority in your life. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, and then Jamie's going to share a few words, and then we're going to be dismissed. But I want to thank you for being here today. I want to thank those of you that, that have given your life to Jesus. And I pray that God would continue to bless you and show you what that, that life with him looks like. Lord, I come to you right now, and I thank you. I thank you for answering our prayers and, 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 and for some people that have come today that have given their life to you for the very first time and made you their Lord and Savior. I praise you for that. I thank you that, that they made that most important decision in their life. And Lord, for those of us that are Christians that maybe have, have kept control of certain areas of our life, I thank you for those that have given that control over you to you today as well. And I pray that you would help them in those moments where they want to be selfish, where they want to take that control back, that they would, they would open their hand and say, God, I give it all to you. Guide me. You have the authority, the control of my life. You are my boss. And so, Lord, I thank you for the lives that were changed today. And I pray that you would just continue to use our church to reach people for eternity. It's in your holy name I pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Bo Haig at Thousand Hills Ranch Church in Woodward, Oklahoma. Please join us next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Woodward Livestock Auction.